0: Welcome to the 1984 old school show. Watch your best bins, I'm telling you. Hi, this is Mallorca, and welcome to another episode of my XL podcast. I hope everyone's home safe and well and looking after each other physically and mentally. We're all in this together, but I do believe we're all experiencing it differently. Some are no as lucky as others. Anyway, back to the podcast. On this show, I'm sitting down with my old friend Nick Fish, who's a Sydney based DJ. He's had a radio show since back in the day and he's DJed at just about every event all over the world. It was great to sit down with Nick in a quiet hotel room and just talk about his journey through music. If you've been enjoying these podcasts that I'm doing, please consider going over to my shop and buying a piece of merchandise. It could be my album, it could be a hat, a t-shirt, a CD, anything. That helps me continue with the podcast and help doing what I do. Don't know what else to say other than sit back, relax and enjoy the show. I've got so many amazing episodes to share with you. The least you could do, share it on your pages, tell your friends about it and spread the word. It's something I'm really passionate about and want to continue doing. Stay safe and enjoy the show.
1: Enjoy. Play the 99 nine number and the people get sick.
0: So, uh, welcome to another episode
2: of the XL podcast. And today I find myself in Sydney, Australia, locked in my smelly hotel room with my good friend, DJ, Australian legend. Is that fair to say? Nick Fish, <laughs> hey, g'day, mate.
3: <laughs> Is that just to make it authentic? Yeah, just crikey. <laughs> <laughs> Where the bloody hell have you been, Mal? <laughs> uh, Anyone seen the Wolf Creek?
2: You know, no, that's, yeah, that's, that must have put a lot of people off uh, coming to Australia. Well, certainly
3: up here. Probably put you off going out back, that's for sure. Yeah. Stay in the big city, you'll be safe, right?
2: The first time I watched it, it was actually here in Australia. Yeah, it was on like the, you know the pay channels. I'd watched all the them. <laughs> and then I just thought it was this. And I, and I was really fucking, whoa, that's yeah. hardcore.
3: It should should be the thing they put in the hotel room when you check in. It's like, welcome, welcome to Australia. <laughs> don't go there. Yeah,
2: if you don't pay your bills, this guy will come and see you. <laughs> um, so I, it's good to finally be sitting down chatting with you.
3: It is, we're usually on our feet. And yeah. uh, it's quite busy and noisy and crazy yeah. when, we, when we've met up. Last time I think was on the side of a stage, um, a party a few years back when you were out this way. And uh, yeah. we, were, we had a, I know there was a bottle of Jägermeister. Yeah. And, and the rest is a block. Yeah, it is, certainly <laughs> is. But it was a good night. Yeah, it was a great night. It's, I think yeah. we ended up in McDonald's or something like that. Oh, we probably probably did. <laughs> and uh, I have to say though, I mean, this has got to be like your 22nd trip down under or yeah, something, yeah, it's isn't it? Yeah, it's at times. Wow, you, if you've got like dual citizenship, yeah. They given you an honorary Australian passport. I would love to. You know, yeah. I actually thought about moving here. Yeah, early, early
2: two thousands, I think. Till I met my wife, and then. Yeah, it's all about a ghetto, isn't
3: it? Well, a lot, of, a lot, of people say that. Even like you know, movie star celebrities and all that from all over Hollywood. That are like they they come to Australia to do a movie, or, they, or an artist comes to do a show, and they love it here, and they're like, "Yeah, I'd love to leave it." Then they realize how freaking far, far it away, is. Yeah. It is from everywhere. So you come here, you really are on, on the other side of the, on the of the globe, aren't you? Yeah, you know, very definitely. far. Yeah, and you
2: sort of don't really know because, but swear, Certainly, you know, because everyone speaks English, really. So you automatically, I think that. Well, for, for, for probably UK people, you just slip into the way of life. You know, there isn't a language barrier. You know, everything just feels so comfortably familiar that's here.
3: right well we actually speak Australian around here that's <laughs> what we speak it's, it's our right, it, is a, it, it is a language right it just it's say, English it is exactly that so I mean we, we borrowed we borrowed from the best and the worst yeah. so I speak um, Scottish yeah but it's technically English isn't uh, it so. yeah. well is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's I, can, I can understand you, it's all right. you you've
2: had lost our practice yeah <laughs> um, alright so you know with this show we spoke about earlier it's just basically, you know, I've been just hunting down DJs and artists that I respect sure. to document their story. Well, I feel very... On, I feel, me, in case I, I we feel, get a pop. Yeah, yeah, I feel I
3: feel very honoured to actually be sitting here and being interviewed by you because we were saying before that the first time we really met was when, when you were blowing up with Ultrasonic. Yeah. Uh, it was like you guys were like the biggest thing in the planet of rave and you you came to your australian tour you came with your full crew and i I had this little radio show going on community radio which was pretty much the only way that people could get to hear anything close and remote to what was going on in in the rave scene and this is the early 90s right this is like maybe five maybe or something talking like a quarter of a century ago this is kind of like sitting there (laughs) when i I started when i was a teenager in mid 80s giving away my age a bit it's like It's like now it's like music that would have been from the 60s or something. Yeah. So it it really span. We're talking quarter of a century. That's huge. Uh, When you put it down at years like that, you're just like wow. Where'd they go? Yeah. And look, I mean, I had you and your crew came into the show, and like you guys were like like rave royalty. You know right up there so to have you guys there you're like the biggest act that i would have ever had come through my show in that era and i did that show for about five or six seven years on yeah. radio so i think and you guys were just instant hits with the aussie crowds and we you know i remember we did the interview and you got you sampled some of the stuff on one of your rec- yeah, records that's right, yeah chopped up my voice because yeah. i was just talking all sorts of garbage and rubbish and you're probably like what's this guy even saying it's like your first encounter with Aussies and um so you guys yeah that was real fun and yeah. I, we went to, I think we went to Palm Beach we went out you know we
2: hung out yeah we hung out for a few days and I remember I'll never forget you took us to the beach where Home and Away was filmed. I know, blew my mind. Yeah, I think I remember <laughs> Roger was there. Um,
3: he was like, someone wanted to take some sand home in, in a jar. I was like, to be worth gold. No, and we were looking for
0: Alf bloody bloody shit
3: stone. The flame and crows. <laughs> I'm just giving your audience a little bit of that Australian vibe, yeah, right? It, but you no, know, still Alf's well. still on on Home and Away here. I don't Is know it? if it's still got. I don't know if it's got that generational following there, but he's
2: still there. It's still on, and you yeah. know and and it's probably still as big as it probably was we're a full new generation
3: yeah I just sort of drifted away yeah They even do official tours there you can actually get a home and away bus and go and like see all the locations uh, like the little crazy, Hollywood down under kind of thing yeah. so but yeah we had some good times and the point of what I'm saying is I, I interviewed you so just to be sitting on the opposite side it's like we've flipped the record over yeah. and I'm seeing you on the flip side
2: after 25 years mm. we've flipped it yeah yeah, and and, and, you, and you've had you've had some journey as well. Yeah, because been. when we first came over, you know, um, I I, th- I just think automatically you kind of click with people, mm. and you you know end up like you say hanging about and having a laugh, but we also like almost like ships in the night. We would catch up on on tours when we came over. That's right, and all that. But you know, you were Although you're classing it as like a community radio. That was like a source for. Um, was it the full of Sydney or was it a good region of Sydney? That, it, it was that was where they were getting
3: their fix of dance music. Yeah, look, I mean, Australia's has got a smaller population obviously than the rest of the world it's i mean it's grown now but in that day the rave scene was still very niche in a way uh you know you could have a party with 500 people in a very small warehouse or you could have a party as big as five thousand people so i mean look that's still quite a lot of people compared to how many people actually live in in australia let alone in sydney let alone who are into rave music so proportionally we had a pretty big following and crowd and my show sort of spanned well you know Sydney you go so far and then you hit hit the outback right so (laughs) I kind of managed to to get most of Sydney I think it reached all the way down to Palm Beach or home and away so we had a a pretty good audience and that's where the spread of people came from all around Sydney to these rave events so and look we didn't have the internet there was no such thing Uh as streaming audio or podcasting and downloading the closest thing people could get to downloading was sticking a cassette tape into their tape recorder and people you can go and Google what that is if you don't know what that is and record <laughs> and record my show yeah you know um and, and you would hear about parties and all that with imagine well on your yeah show. look for me it was i just got involved in community radio so where i came from i was, I was my story quick quick version was i was sitting there in the uh, final years of high school and on monday night listening to a dance music show playing acid house music in about 88 yeah. 89 and um my mum would be screaming out to me, go to bed, turn off the radio. And I'd be like, listening to the show till 1am. And I'd ring them up and I'd win CDs and I won a ticket to a party once. And I went there underage to the party and it was the Acid House era. So it wasn't really, when I say Acid House in Australia, it wasn't like the UK rave sort of Acid House. It was a bit of a mixture. Sydney's got like a big gay community. It's very different. We're in Australia, we're not the UK. So we had a real mixture of people. It was like the 80s club Era coming to an end, you know all the pop, all the glam, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we had parties with Grace Jones and the Batmobile, and all these sort of crazy, <laughs> I- iconic things. So they did they had, the ba- they had a party yeah. once based around the Batmobile? It was called Bat Fun. It was a huge party, and the big, the, 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 the feature artist of the night was the Batmobile. Was and we're talking car? about from the, you know, from the Jack Nicholson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Val Kim, or that to yeah, the 80s yeah. vibe. So anyway, I have got a ticket. And I recognised the voice of the announcers for this show, this cool chick called Joe and her sidekick, this guy called Guy, and I could hear them talking in the bar and I went up and said, hey, are you Joe from Madhouse Radio? She said, yeah. I said, I'm Nick. I'm Nick from Manly. That's where I grew up and beaches at Manly. And she's like, no way, look how young you are. She goes, you shouldn't even be at this party. She said, you know, I said, I know, but I want a ticket. Anyway, I got to know her. I, I just said, look, I loved what you do. The music just sucked me right in. I uh, I, this, this is the only place I've got to hear anything like this in my life, and um, you know I managed to become friends with her. Finished high school, and we hung out, and she introduced me to all the people at the record stores where I could buy tunes. Was you buying tunes before this? Uh yeah. Uh, look, I I grew up. I was fortunate. I think as a teenager, I was sort of the younger side of like in the mid '80s pop sort of stuff. So I got exposed on radio to like you know Duran Duran. Yep. And girls on film planet earth those sort of tunes really resonate i like i love that synthy sort of sound yeah, big and um you know and blondie all that and yeah. uh, and i think the song that really even going back a bit younger when i was probably 12 13 as a teenager i was like holding a one of my mum's hairbrushes and in front of a mirror and <laughs> of all the songs on the radio and they were playing it let alone me miming it was um grandmaster flash white lines yeah, what, tune? <laughs> and uh, what a tune and i just had no idea what it was about but i learned all these like rap lyrics and started reciting them to my mum, and she's like how do you even know this you know i had no idea what this was about yeah, so yes yeah. Yeah, so i got that exposure remember we had no internet this is like radio this is the 80s so that was kind of i thought a very eclectic mix of mainstream pop yeah dance you know dead or alive you spin me around you yeah. know i started going to clubs the end of high school in my local neighbourhood and uh, a really famous DJ that um, was unfortunately not, no longer with us Paul Holden he was DJing and I was like 16 years old in the club and I could see his eyes above the decks it was my first encounter with a DJ actually paying attention to what they were doing and and he was playing from Kylie Minogue to Rick Astley but they were different versions of the songs and I was like what is this how can there be a different version what's he doing
1: mm-hmm.
3: they were extended mixes, right had no idea but then he was mixing them continuously beat mixing and I was like yeah beat mixing them but a lot of those stock aches and water and sort of yeah. stuff had a constant beat and that he was beat mixing Technics Turntables I peered over and was like what is this why has he got two of them that was my first question to myself is why has he got two and I'm like oh of course to keep the music playing so my whole exposure to it was all very ferocious and uh, very absorbing. But the one. And you just want to know more and more for that minute. Huh? I just, just... It came hungry for it, yeah. man. Like, really came hungry for it, you know? So, going, getting that contact and meeting this girl who did the radio show and having her say, hey, this is the outlets you can get music from, I very quickly started collecting vinyl. I was just spending all my money. Yeah, all your you pocket know. money. Yeah, all. anything I had. So, building up this sort of really eclectic stuff. And a lot of it was hip hop. I did love a lot of hip hop. Um, you know, I loved the original Public Enemy run DMC. And of course I had to have 12-inch mixes, you know. Before that, I was buying the little seven-inch singles yeah. from your local record yeah, yeah. store. <laughs> but they just run out too quick. Yeah. they were cheaper, but they never done a job, <laughs> did they? No. So yeah, so I threw, got really sort of thrown into the deep end of it, you know. I made that decision leaving high school. i got to do something with music. Some of the DJs that I was looking up to at the time, I was looking literally looking up from the dance floor, yeah. thinking, wow, what a job to have.
2: Was there early clubs that you were going to that were on it that are
3: no longer here? Yeah, look, Sydney was very, um, you know, in in the 80s, you know, that Boy George era and all Maryland, all these celebrities coming to Australia and there's lots of these, the big gay scene and the clubs that were along Oxford Street, which is a big street in Sydney, they were just pumping from from the early 80s right through. um, So, you know, kind of got to see the tail end of those sort of venues and clubs and they just expanded rapidly and very quickly the club scene grew. But then... We had the rave, the rave parties. And can you...
2: Was you DJing at the clubs at this
3: point? I was you still attending it. Nah, it's us. Just a, I was a. I don't think the word rave was even being thrown around. I was just a clubber. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I was a clubber kid. <laughs> so did you see the musical change coming in? Yeah. Look, I have to say when I started, I got involved with community radio out of high school after meeting this girl Joe very quickly, and so I hadn't. She deep, gave you, gave you a leader, she a gave me the, the leg up. Yeah, as we yeah. call it. You know, she said, "Hey, I said I, I love what you do. I came and watched one of her shows. Imagine." from listening to it in the, uh, at home on a, on a little clock radio to two years later going and watching her do the show yeah. late at night and then sitting in on the studio. Yeah. I suddenly was, I was right there. So um, I got in, she got me involved. I said, look, I really want to do this. I had this interest in talking, playing music, giving something to people. I enjoyed it. I like sharing it. And uh, I thought that's my passion. I want to just, I want to find all this music and somehow pump it out to people. Yeah. I think the world has to know about this music. That was my, <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was yeah. on some mission. Yeah, just know? need to share these amazing <laughs> songs. Know. Yeah, so that was that was it. And I, I kind of hadn't thought much about club DJing, although I did think it would be cool. I, just, I never knew how to mix. I didn't know anything about it. And it just seemed so daunting. For me, I just enjoyed having the tunes. Radio was kind of cool because I wasn't really mixing it. It was just playing a song, letting it fade out. I so thought it was kind of easy. Yeah. You know, I kind of had to learn to mix,
2: but you were structuring your shows, correct? Obviously, you yeah, know, and yeah. You, and you're, you, I don't know, was you maybe thinking about, you, you know,
3: was you mixing key in your head or try to structure the show so that it flowed and. I think it was genres. You know, like right. I said, when I first started doing the radio show, I had a bit of a passion for hip hop. So did some of my mates at school, and. I kind of roped a few of them into it because we all were school buddies going to these mm-hmm. parties so a couple of them were kind of interested um, but i was more the driving force i think and uh, i did a hip-hop show for a few months on the radio got a little time slot late at night and um i just i was loving that vibe you know so i started to realize that i started having a liking for genres genres became a thing yeah where before it was just everything so i was like yeah i like hip-hop i'm gonna just play hip-hop started ignoring other things still liked a bit of house music but I liked hip hop but then I suddenly flipped and went no oh, I like this house music still like hip hop you start to realise you're just sort of building up your own repertoire of what yeah. you, what resonates with you huh?
2: so then did your shows become maybe the start of hip hop and then
3: some dance well up? I took over a hip hop show uh, so I could did you have f- a hip hop name well yeah well what it was is uh, i my friend Joe got me into radio. She went to work for Virgin, one of those big labels in London. So she went down that path. She was working with record companies. She was in the media side as well. And she said, "Hey, you've got to get on a plane and come to London. This place is going crazy. There's these parties called raves in the nineties, you know." So, 1991, I was in suddenly in London. Got off the plane, got home, had Kiss FM on the radio, dance music pumping. Mainstream radio—it's like not community, it's mainstream. I thought, "What is this?" I was—I was in a record shop. Within two hours of landing in London, buying Bizarre Inc, playing with knives. <laughs> that was the first kind of ravey tune yeah, I remember buying. Potches. I heard it. Uh, I think I was in. I think I was just having like a cup of tea or coffee or something when I arrived in London, going, "Wow, where am I? I've never been outside of Australia." And I'm hearing this guy on the radio, Bizarre Bizarreing, playing with knives. And I went down to some record store uh, down the road, literally, yeah. and walked in, asked for it, had it in my hands, you know, very quickly. So I came back with a bag of tunes, and um, I'd been offered a hip hop. Told bar gig in a club in Sydney just before that. that was my first club venture. You know, I worked in a record store. I sort of skipped a few things here. Yeah. I'm telling your story back to front. It's
2: hard to get all crammed in. <laughs> it
3: is. It is when you're thinking about it. But anyway, so and um, uh, the promoter of the club said, "Hey, you know, you played in the bar. You've been over to England. You come back with some tunes. There's an opening for a, a DJ up in the main dance floor upstairs in this club in Sydney." And I went, "Yeah, cool." And I started playing like stuff like Bizarre, and playing nights. Would you believe it? The crowd just had never heard anything like it. So they freaked out. They were just used to funky stuff and mm-hmm. all this. And I remember playing something like the Orb, some crazy song. They had a like 10 minute intro and cleared the whole freaking dance floor at midnight. <laughs> and the promoter came up to me and said, if you keep playing this music, this is going to be your first and last night DJing in this club. And I just looked at him. I said, I'm going to keep playing this music because yeah. I reckon this is going to be the <laughs> it's thing. going to be the next and thing. And then I didn't work there the next week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it
3: was my <laughs> you saw the future, but unluckily he never. No, no, so, <laughs> mm, so that was my foray. Yeah.
1: Mm.
2: So if we, if we were to kind of pick maybe two tracks from you getting into it, what would, what would they be like, going right back, like the tunes that really kind of made you decide music's my thing?
3: Two songs really that I bought when I went to London on that trip, besides playing with knives, um, which is an awesome song. Everybody knows it's a rave anthem. Um, kind of house, kind of rave, sort of crosses over. Really, uh, T99, Anastasia, yeah, with that orchestral yeah, crazy, thing, man. that was crazy. Um, that just blew my mind. You know, what is this? Yeah. And um, another track was called um, it was Meat Beat Manifesto, and I think it's was called Helter, Helter Skelter. Meat Beat Manifesto were more of a dub sound yeah, system, right, experimental, yeah. industrial... Uh, and it was funny because I think the common thing, if you hear the two tracks, is they had the same kind of one was slowed down, had this sort of breakbeat loop, and the other one was just sped up. It's a similar thing. So I kind of made a connection there and started to realize I was looking for. Beats within songs and looking for links in there. Completely different genres, one's down tempo, very dubby, I think renegade sound systems, all this kind of like real dub sort of stuff. So um, I started to become very affected by you know what music could do to you sort of on a mental level you know these yeah, really spaced yeah. out kind of sounds and the fierce broken beats and I don't know just that whole impact of rave so those two tracks were pretty pinnacle for me
2: and, and two sort of different ones like you say oh you very mean, different kind of like put you in different moods almost innit
3: yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so will we take a
2: break play them and then come back take up the chat ooh yes <laughs> 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 Like we were saying they're both sort of different tracks but infecting your moods. Um and we were talking about me beating Manifesto and I was saying I remember the logo and all that. And mm. Did you buy that in Australia or was it on your trip to London?
3: There were there were tracks that I picked up in London and brought back. Uh, you must have come back probably. with a bag of goodies that nobody uh, yeah. had a seen. Well look, I probably grabbed about thirty records, which for me at the time was quite a lot. Um, of tunes to have at certainly one a lot time. of money spent. <laughs> that of money. Like, I think yeah, that's it, you know. I think I had to cut my trip short <laughs> for like a few weeks. Um, but yeah, like I said the Meat Beat Manifesto after hearing it, you've got this sort of dubby bass lines outside. Like <laughs> it's kind of like what Prodigy was before Prodigy with Prodigy. You know, like yeah. I could see where bands like that maybe got their influences yep. from. Because these guys were so sort of industrial kind of band you know so that was very different and then it's got these ferocious fast breakbeats in but the tempo still kind of gives you a feeling it's going slow and yeah i think breakbeats really did it for me that's when i realized um with what rave was and um you know i got into a lot of hardcore what was pre you know drum and bass and that like yeah, yeah. Uh, for a while i just almost went away from four to the floor and went into these broken beats um so and then and, and t99 anastasia was kind of like I hate using the word techno when it's not the purest techno, but... But it's, I suppose it's, it was, wasn't it wasn't. It's like, very easy to call that music techno music, you know, technological music. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, the yeah. genre techno and the term techno can be... Seen different ways, but yeah. you know, it was, it wasn't, it, yeah. I think, I don't know if T99 Anastasia was from, so Belgium or something yeah, like it might that. Maybe be
2: classed in as Belgian beat or whatever. Yeah, we had
3: these kind of spin off genres then in that era, yeah. Belgian beats, yeah. and that was very distinct, you know, the RNS records and all that sort of sound, and, um, and that's what it was. I think the, the, that that sort of era of when records and, and um, were blowing up like that and it's new sounds very quickly genres were created yeah. within the rave scene which is what was really appealing about the rave scene I like these, the rave scene it was like it wasn't just one style of music you yeah. know? I mean I know in the UK had probably leaned towards this and then who knows I don't even know if they called them raves in, in Europe or Germany or wherever yeah. probably had some um, uh, the, it was just pretty much
2: Acid House and then I think rave became like the bastard son of acid house and that's maybe like what you were talking about when the the breakbeat thing came in and it was just slightly more sped up a wee bit more aggressive Mm. and then i don't even i can't even remember you know it was just it was called a rave Mm. you know i think even with acid house thing it was called rave but certainly the genres split you know when you're going to a rave it was a wee bit more gritty Break beauty. Sure.
3: And remember, still were loads of music getting played within the night. Mm, it would just get a bit more crazier. But I just need to remind you that we're talking about some guy in Australia like me and, and other DJs as well that were working with. Like Again, no exposure to internet. The closest thing we got to knowing what was going on in, in say, the UK, especially the UK, was a very big, heavily influence to Australia. We fed off that scene. A lot of um, expats would come and live here. Some of them were promoters at the time and they knew kind of more more <coughs> about the, the history of, of, of it, or they kind of knew the background. Yeah. So they were coming here, setting it up, and replicating it here. So we were very heavily influenced by the UK sort of scene, but really where we got, besides hearing tunes coming in every week or two weeks, however long, in the record stores, and saying, oh, this is all the new tunes, this is- suddenly hearing all these great tracks. It was like Mixmag, those magazines, yeah. you know. We'd read about things, so we'd always be that six months behind type thing or whatever, you know. Um, so seeing pictures of these amazing parties happening. Yeah, and I mean, we were having these amazing parties here, so I guess we sort of... I always felt... And then, and then like I mentioned before, the Belgian influence and, like, you know, like... Um, oh, God, what is it? Like, Frank DeWolf and CJ Boll and all those guys. Um, some of the stuff they were bringing out. Know, like... I don't know how much of that went directly into the UK market at the time in the 90s, but a lot of that came here. Yeah. So I kind of felt like whatever was going on in, in England and other parts you of know, the UK was great, that's what's going on there. But I think in Australia, we were developing our own take on rave. Mm-hmm. So we had some DJs that were like playing the R&S record style and that. So, and then some would like playing the sort of um, hardcore You know, pre-drum and bass style, and some people were playing a tallow sort of high-energy things. You know, and um, all at the one all at the one party. Yeah, yeah. so there wasn't like a hundred percent same genre all night, and I think that's what made it really appealing for uh, somewhere like Sydney, Australia, to have this smaller crowd that was just feeding off. You know, granted, some people would like that style more and this, but everyone was pretty open-minded. Yeah. And I think that's what made the, the the rave experience very eclectic and colourful and, and enjoyable for everyone because it was always going to be, a diff- every hour or so, you could count on it changing quite yeah. dramatically, yep. different moods. And promoters would program the nights like that. And, of course, you had then you started having offshoots where you'd have the more parties that were just hardcore. Nah. And, but, again, that was just development of genres, like when Happy Hard came in, yeah. you know, and then suddenly there was like 20 DJs out of nowhere that were all playing happy heart, and so they'd all get put on at the same party, and it'd be a happy heart party. Oh, ah, okay. That was just spin-offs of that. Yeah, But in the early days of rave, it was very eclectic and that, so... And did certain DJs get known for... They did. ...the, the certain styles kind of thing? Yeah, and I was always like the chameleon, I think, because I could, I could never stick to one genre. Yeah. I kind of... I, I look at rave music and and all and dance music, and let's face it, all music, it's, it's very kind of a continuum, you know. It's not... Um, you know, you can like a style for a while and then you can evolve. That style evolves or it yeah. changes or it fades away or, you know, it spins off into another offshoot. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of like followed the path of being exposed to so much different music. It was like almost pulling your hair out because you couldn't figure out what yeah. you want to play. I for think as well because you'll get your show. You can't really just play yeah. one style, you know, you, yeah.
2: and you've got, the, you've got the audience here to to feed everything that you know yeah doing. and
3: it made it bloody expensive for me because I could never <laughs> stick to one genre I found myself buying records that I go I know I'm not going to play this out um, and other DJs would play it out but I just like the song and I'm going to put on, play it on my radio show so yeah. so I built up a pretty hefty vinyl collection um, by, by you know being so caught up with all these different genres of music keeping your eye on them all
2: yeah I never even thought about that because hey it wasn't like you could download it or somebody's sending you a CD. You had
3: to buy the actual vinyl. It cost you 20 bucks back in the in that day and it cost you $20 now an and $20 back then was a lot. Yeah, yeah. so yeah now, so yeah. Um, I
2: mean, the majority of them imports was, was Central Station Records and that. But that They came about and were they running a label
3: at the time? Or? Yeah, look, they were running a label but they were just sort of relicensing licensing tracks. Yeah. I mean, look... Um, Something point, that maybe you had broke. Yeah, they'd so... They'd pick it up or whatever. Sure, so, I mean... Talking about that sort of having our own identity um, in in somewhere like here rather than in the UK as a reference, you know, uh, like producers, DJs would start making their own tracks here. Um, It came after a few years, like the rave scene was pretty hefty, everyone was just DJs, there was was no real DJs making tunes and releasing vinyls, we just didn't have that market here, we didn't have that... um, that amount of people enough to sort of justify it I suppose and again we're on the other side of the world it's really hard for us anyone to even know where Australia was in terms of music let alone what we had to offer so
2: we think it was a kind of like had nobody went hey you can do that if you want or had nobody thought about it or was just kind of thinking I'm a DJ I'm not a producer
3: yeah look I've just to, to put it really bluntly in those days We were just DJs buying records that were made by producers or other DJs that had the uh, exposure to having that sort of history and that setup and equipment. Where we were kind of young in Australia, you know, we had to sort of come in with this whole, here's this music that's instantly available on vinyl made by all these people from all over the world. And we were just guys and girls in Sydney that enjoyed picking them up and playing them to people. So, um, you know, I always had, I've always felt it was a very. defined line between the producer and the DJ. I always yeah. felt that the DJs were really the people playing other people's music and the producers obviously were the ones making it. Now those lines are blurred. You know, producers often become booked to play DJ sets yeah. and they start off in the studio. Um, and with technology and accessibility now, it's much different. But back then it was very defi- very definitive, you know. The yeah. DJ was a DJ. He just played other people's music. That was it. You know, the producers made the music. They were the the guys that locked themselves in the studio and made these crazy songs. And then they got printed onto vinyl and then other DJs would buy and play it. So it was very kind of, took a while for us to catch up to start making our own sort of music. one or the other.
2: But then DJing in itself, as you know, is like an art form and it, you know, when you, like you saw Paul Holden mixing two records and you're like, I want to get into that. I want to try that. Mm. How long did it take you No, because you're kind of learning on your feet as well, aren't you?
3: Well, I think it's either going to, like a lot of things, like what makes an elite athlete an elite athlete, there's a lot of hard work and it's got to be some natural ability, you know, um, in there. Mm. So I think it's a combination of it. I mean, I think with DJing, it's not the hardest thing to show someone. It's just whether they can then take it and replicate that and improve on it or get good at it, um, or, you know, some people just have it, some people don't. Some people have rhythm and they dance, some people don't. So, yeah. uh, for me though, I, I was a kind of very fast learner in it, I suppose, um, just really kind of analysed it. I suppose having that love and passion and, and being so full on about music, I kind of was determined to kind of work out how to mix these... Bloody records together. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have to write numbers on them. This one's 121 beats, and this one's 135. There's no way they're going to really play together mathematically. You know, all yeah. that kind of analytical stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then figuring it out. Um, and then you know, but
2: that's all the time and effort you're putting in, all the prep, mm, to yeah. then take it to a club
3: and all that. Yeah. And that. buying some decks and having them at home helped as well. Yeah, and there's, they weren't cheap. Yeah, you know, all, <laughs> so, all that. Um, so yeah, there's um, there's a lot involved, and I think it's like, like I said, an art form or it's a craft or whatever It's like, yeah, it's it's there is a there's a lot to be said about playing, say, vinyl records, using your ear, speeding up stuff, and then make, not only that, you have to think, is that song going to go with the other song? And there's the musical keys, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think you're kind of like, it's. some people will either get it or they won't get it. Yeah, you're constantly looking at the dance floor, seeing where, how they're reacting and mm-hmm. where you're going to go with oh, it. Oh, yeah, and you got to, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, amazing, amazing sort of times they were.
2: So did the, as the show's getting more successful and you're doing more gigs
3: hmm.
2: was there a sort of time or a year that you felt Well, I'm, I'm i've got a hold of this i'm a dj yeah
3: you know like i'm really
2: <laughs> i'm on top of my you know a lot of people don't like to blow their own trumpet but there's definitely a time when you think i've got this you know i'm doing this
3: well i think it was uh, but for me it was very, um, a very a gradual thing with radio because my radio show gave promoters an outlet to promote parties and through those i got invitations to play at these parties and i had to sort of earn my stripes you know i'd be given the first set of the night in a, in a rave and but that was great i didn't care what time i was on i got to play at a yeah. rave <laughs> you know you're paying me to play at a party what uh, you would have i would have go gone there anyway you might have <laughs> given me a free ticket but i would have gone but yeah, yeah so uh as much as you know you, Then it was like, oh, you're playing the morning set. But that was more of an honour because you're playing the last set. You know, you had to really give people something to take away from the party. It was a big challenge. The only thing that sucked is you have to be up all night. But, hey, that wasn't too much of a problem (laughs) if you were there partying and being, you know what I mean. But um, when it's all good and said and done, like in terms of, you know, very quickly I, I, you know, saw that I became featured more at these parties along with other really good DJs at the time that were my mates, became mates. Very community based, that was the other aspect of raves that was great, you know. The whole community vibes, you know, yeah, that family, you know, like with a crew come with you to parties, yeah, and-, and you'd hang out afterwards. And you know, um, we'd all DJ at these parties, and then another time we'd be back at someone's house and we were all laughing about how great the party was. And we'd just be all like just normal people having fun, yeah. But when we were at the rave, we were like performers putting on a show, yeah, and we all took it seriously. We all like to have fun with it, but we knew that people were coming to want to sort of enjoy this music. We wanted to deliver the best we could. So, but the peak of it for me, um, I kind of, I guess people can kind of have the luck of something or fall into something or something just comes into place. And that's what sets them off. Um, In 1994 was probably where I realized that raves have been around 91, 92, 93. We've been building up this scene, genres had developed, people, uh, you know, you got to build your reputation for what you had to offer. And um, I got to make my first vinyl record, 1994 and not many of us if any of us were doing that at yeah. that era so that was a real privilege and that became by a certain circumstances I got approached by a young group of uh, producers or you know performers that wanted to that were called South End. they wanted to they liked listening to my radio show and they were ravers and they had made their own music and they asked me to give them an opinion of it and I said, Hey, make it more ravey. <laughs> Put break beats and things in it. Do this, yeah, yeah. do that And they said, Do you want to come to our studio and like sit in with us and help us develop these songs? So um yeah, all of a sudden, I was remixing their song by being in the studio with them and literally saying, no, do this, make this, make that. Yeah, so I really yeah. wasn't even pushing any buttons, but they felt so much like that I'd created, added something to their song. Yeah,
2: Coming in like a producer. Like,
3: like a producer. producer. Like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean I was pushing the buttons. And, I mean, I played a couple of riffs. I said, hey, yeah. how about try this? And then they developed on yep. it. They were the artists. Yep. And um, my show was called Music Room, and they put out a song called Take Me Up. Uh, which had a vocal track, like female vocal, beautiful voice and very uplifting and um, very melodic and very synthy based. And I just put all these fierce breakbeats in the songs and s- rising sirens and things yeah. and you know some cheeky illegal samples that weren't probably cleared at the time that we warped and twisted and the sounded really full on. And suddenly it was like this ravey tune and they loved it. And it got released on vinyl. What label, um, it was on Volition, which was a local label. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a lot of things, like groups called Severed Heads, and that were very kind of industrial slash indie dance. So this was their first venture into something very melod- melodic and poppy, yeah. and but it was ravey. It was like 170 beats, maybe or something. That I don't bit? know. Maybe it was maybe a little bit slow. But it was pretty yeah. fast, anyway. But the the thing that came of that was at the time Sydney had put in a bid for the Olympic Games, and um, we were waiting. We're Excuse waiting. Me. We're waiting for the announcement of, it. and this is while I was, while I was doing a, s- a few days recording with them, and the announcement came, and we literally had set up like people having outdoor parties in Sydney Harbour on big screens waiting for the announcement of the three cities that were v- going to be in the running for the Olympic yeah. Games for the year 2000. Pretty big thing, millennial, and um, this Spanish guy, his name was Juan Antonio Samaranch He was the head of the Olympic Committee uh, at the time, this really old guy and he got up to make the announcement and everyone was holding their breath and people were around Sydney Harbour watching on big screens and it was broadcast all over Australia and everyone was waiting to see if we were going to win the r- Olympics and then he said this announcement saying, and the winner is Sydney Australia and everyone cheered I remember saying that and thought, fuck that's my song, I'm going to I want to make a song about us winning the Olympics. Not so much winning the Olympics, but just that the winner is Sydney. It was just like this real- Some, that's just a hook. I thought, am I stupid? Am I crazy? Is this, could this work? And I went to these guys and they sat there and I went, yeah, Nick, uh, sorry, we don't get it. I went, the winner is Sydney. Like, this is us. We're, We're on the map globally. This is it. Yeah. Anyway, convinced them to make this song, and they made. This, they, they said, Le- "Leave it with us. We'll, we'll make a bit of a tune." And came back and they had some like French anthem thing, like da 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 da. I said, "This is Australia." <laughs> I went, "No, nah, fuck that." I said, "We need to start this song with big sirens going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So like this is like we're coming for you. We're yeah. alert, you know." And um, we did it on a Juno 106, some sort of rising thing. Found it on that. Said this sound made this track. Went to Sony, who were the, the the parent label of Volition, and they loved the remix I did of this song, Take Me Up, and they thought this other thing was rubbish. So I said, let's put on the B side of a test pressing and see what happens. Put it out, test pressing, DJs got promoted started playing it in mainstream clubs this winner is Sydney song and because it was You're fresh you are also playing it in your sets as well Yeah, my yeah, sets yeah. on my radio show yeah, yeah we're in a big deal like hey I made this song it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's a big rave anthem you know and I thought when people hear it they're going to come running from outside the rave going the song and they did you know they did it kind of it worked it hit the mark and it clicked and even got on mainstream radio went into like the top 40 charts at the time and that was 100% 170 BPMs Ah, okay. And we should play it just to yeah. just to hear it.
2: <laughs> we'll play will we
3: play that? Is there another
2: one you want to play as well? <laughs> oh
3: you can play Take Me Up and that like, yeah, I don't we, know we'll let's do if it can fit it in. They're both great songs in their own right. So
2: so that's was that under the South End name then? It was
3: South End with Nick Fish. So I sit there and said, look, full credit, you guys have the studio, the gear. It's an idea of mine. Uh, I think we should really, you know, it's it's, this is once we realised that Sony came back. We're talking Sony Music Big Label, and they said, "Hey, we we want to we want to make this big. We want this to be its own single. We we, this has been on like mainstream radio. This is in top top. It's getting rated top 40 plays. There was." It became a big thing. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. talking the contracts came out. The lawyers came, got involved. I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" Uh, so it became bigger than things. So it was very upfront. We just said, "Let's share with this yeah. um, together," because together it's kind of what we've done yeah. we've, we've created this. So.
2: And did you notice with the success of that, more people chapping the door wanting to, you to do more DJ gigs uh, and all that 100%, as well? One hundred percent. Yeah, Cause that's just like you kicking the door down mm-hmm. now, isn't
3: yeah. it? Yeah, it is. It was, and it was like. I, it's like this kind of like I'm gonna have a fucking laugh playing at these like suburban clubs playing rave music yeah you know, 1994, 1995 was still going underground. It was a bit of a fine line because it was like I was suddenly going and playing these commercial venues and... Uh, but
2: then you're spreading this sound.
3: That's what you're, I thought. You know, you're, you're sharing, again, yeah. sharing your music to... It was kind of like putting your balls on the line in a way. It was like breaking away from the pack a bit, saying, all yeah. right. It wasn't so much breaking away. It's like, I'm taking this somewhere else. I think this needs to go... Everywhere we need yeah. to, um, and and like, and all fairness, in places like Melbourne and other big cities, they had their own version of the rave scene. Yeah, things are bubbling everywhere. Look, and it piqued their interest. Suddenly, I got offers to come and play interstate, and I was sort of one of the first guys to get that whole crossover playing. And yeah. um, Melbourne were very welcoming to me. I brought a different flavour to their raves, and um, it became my sort of second city. Uh, I yeah. had a very good relationship and and with and love for Melbourne and the scene, and they were just equally as Big and had as much to offer as Sydney, but in their own way. Yep. And um, all of a sudden, it just—I think that wasn't the be-all, end-all for the scene, but I definitely felt like I did something that helped start. Yeah. So I'm blowing my own trumpet, hey, in a way, but not in that yeah, kind I of wank totally kind of way. It's yeah, like yeah. Uh, I thought, fuck yeah! It's like we we're, we're so underground and we're so like all we wanted was just to spread this sort of music yeah. Um, and all of a sudden like you said we just kicked the doors down and it was it was all on and
2: um, I think as well you know just through talking to people and, and friends there is definitely two different kind of attitudes like you were saying you're just like balls out That's what, this is what I'm all about this is what I'm playing and then on the other side you get people who like in those sort of situations freeze and bend to oh well I might just have to play more commercial or, you know, play stuff that I'm not into, whereas it really does take a lot of commitment to just be going, this is what I'm all about and this is what you're going to hear. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. you're, you you kind of know sometimes when you get into a club you're going to be up against it, but you're like, fuck it. This is what they're getting. That's right. You know, in a stubborn way, but you're just adamant of pushing this sort of pure vibe and what you believe in?
1: Mm.
3: It, look, it was it was again a double-edged sword as I like to call it. It was like, yeah, I'm going to come in and say, here I am, here's what I got. But you know, I de- definitely had some moments where it didn't work on the dance yeah. floor. I had those flashbacks to the first time when the promoter's said
2: you
1: know,
3: <laughs> You'll never, be, you'll never, never play again. again. <laughs> um, and I had some clubs. I'd say that they were pretty shocked by it. So yeah. They couldn't. They they were never expecting what what it was going to be about. But what was really cool is that people from the suburbs were also people that would come to raves you know, they lived they lived out in these places and they thought it was pretty funny or pretty cool that i'd play at the local tavern yeah okay on a wednesday night you know i was booked on the quietest night of the week so it came with a bit of a cost and but suddenly the, the club would get 50 people for Just example on, on a wednesday night that wouldn't normally be there so cha-ching ching for them so and that was
2: probably like kids from that area going "Does fuck all happening here Let's make a night. Yeah. And let's get Nick over. You know, let's get the guys we're listening to and just let everybody, like, it's, it's kind of like what was happening in Scotland and all that as well. People were just creating their own scene. You know, if they didn't have a, a club to go to to enjoy that music, they would, like, take over a bar, a pub. Hmm. and start it themselves kind of thing
3: yeah, so and also
2: it's a good wee Wednesday night for you
1: isn't it? that's right it's something to do in
3: between the one rave on the Saturday and the other rave on the Saturday because it did become like that we got like everything that became saturation and, and yeah, things so as things went on later yeah and I mean of course it's going to be when something gets bigger and bigger everyone wants a piece of the pie and then every, yeah. everyone wants to be a promoter and um You know, and I got to see a lot of it, got to see it all from different angles from being a DJ being booked to also doing the radio show and having people kind of more people sort of knocking on my door to promote their parties. Um, You know, so I got to see all the angles of it. And, um, you know, like anything, you sort of go, oh, that's where it started and that's where it is now. And then, of course, at some point, something had to give. Yeah. The bubble has to burst. Yeah. You know. So before we
2: talk about that, maybe we can maybe play these two tracks from. Your production passed and then come back. (laughs) Coming back to those early productions and all that, how do
3: you feel about them now? Are you just as proud? Or? I'm proud of um, on the f- I say the finished product, like just what it, what the song was about and. Um, the sound and everything in terms of the technical production quality of it could have been <laughs> done maybe a lot better than that. But um I you think can always tweak things in your head when you listen to things. Yeah, look and look and and I suppose the downside was uh, that in the year 2006, years later, Sony decided that hey, we've got to get our money's worth out of this deal and it's the Olympic Games is around the corner and they enlisted every freaking DJ you could think of that had become producer or producers that had become DJs. <laughs> 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 and um, suddenly there was like a double C D release remixes by this DJ and that DJ. And they're all like either friends of mine or not friends of mine. (laughs) 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 Mars Sony was getting them to remix it. (laughs) These people and I'm like even some really underground it's like that just went way overboard. They just kinda took it too, they went too far. And, and it, it bombed for them as well because it, it, it had been and gone. Like you oh, know, By okay. the time the Olympics came, everyone was sick of the fact that we were doing the Olympics in 2000. Right? <laughs> it was like, it was just, you couldn't. It's like it was like Christmas every yeah. year when you see it come up in the, in the shops. Like, oh, it's Christmas again. Oh. Yeah, no, yeah. so, um, uh, But there were some good remixes of it. But, um, and I even did a really cool remix with a good mate of mine, Jumping Jack, yeah um, what was that
2: name remember that yeah
3: name? yeah so um, he was an awesome producer and I did some other work with him as well um, in, in his studio he was just such a good technical person and that and um, uh, he's a very quiet achiever like he never really sort of could have gone so much stuff but he didn't he was, he was a great DJ great DJ awesome DJ one of my favourite mixes so smooth and very own style but um, he was so good in the studio as well and he was happy to do engineer tracks and stuff yeah so um I, I kind of pushed him and go, let's do this, let's yeah. make this, this. And we did a few productions together.
2: But sometimes yeah. you need that. You need the, like, the machine and then someone who's kind of like coming to the machine to feed it with the ideas. Yeah. And that's how it kind of works.
3: Mm. And look, and then going back to talking about Sony, um, you know, not that they deserve any sort of, you know, free advertising here or anything, but whatever. But they, they did, we had a, um, a DJ, John Ferris, who got involved with a project that they did called Dance Pool and they were bringing out like, you know, releasing Tokyo Ghetto Pussy, you know, and that sort of stuff, you know, those sort of tracks locally and um, pushing sort of, and they had a thing called Strictly Techno Compilation Album and other stuff and they did a thing called um, DJ Beats Beyond the Turntable where they got as many Australian DJs that were wanting to produce together and did a big project and released a double vinyl and it was really successful and that yeah. actually brought together the... the the country, like the nation, like in all the big cities. started
2: well, making it your own scene and all yeah, that. Yeah, our That's own scene. Like, how the UK had a scene and a, mm, it's, this is like Australia's yeah.
3: finally being recognised. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, and that was really good. That was kind of like, you know, not very much, not long after actually I did The Winner Is. It's sort of, I, I guess, what I was saying, I think we opened up some some uh, some gates there, you know, yeah. and... Um, Showing what can be done and we well, yeah. just kind of like that fucking fuck it attitude I'm going to do this Yeah, kind of we, we developed um, you know a little bit of an industry beyond just being DJs playing at rave parties yeah you know I,
2: I remember the first I think the first um, track that I heard that was made by Australian producers was the uh,
3: Quench and Dream ah oh, what a what a, a fucking track anthem huh what a I did you know it, they guys were they from Sydney no I think they were Melbourne based Melbourne yeah um
2: that must have featured heavy in your sets back in the day. Oh
3: yeah, absolutely. And and funnily enough, now more than ever, like at these old school parties, you know, whoever's playing at those parties would generally want someone will play that. Someone's going to drop it. Absolutely, that. it's like yeah, yeah um, exactly. So I mean, we we definitely were able to contribute output to the world from yeah. from here in the little land of Oz down under. Yeah, yeah.
2: And another thing I kind of noticed it's, it's great to hear you talk about like, you know, what Sony was doing what you guys were doing, all the other DJs and you've when you finally felt like like Australia had its own scene and its own group of DJs and all that because me coming over (coughs) Sorry mate me coming over once a year or sometimes twice a year you know, we'd be over every weekend if it wasn't so (laughs) far away but over, you know, like a, a very short space of time we realised like, wow, Australia's got like every international from all over the world every weekend. It's almost like you guys were spoilt for choice with all these internationals. But I always kind of felt like, it's, you know, how how do you guys feel about seeing, you know, people just coming in to your scene when you're working so hard to build a scene? Mm. And again, back to what you're saying, it's like a double-edged sword. You're maybe playing the records and making these records popular. In Australia, and then the artist is just kind of like getting invited over, and just coming over like, yeah. But, yeah. Well,
3: that's the thing. I, the, the, I've actually had some people, like um, well-known artists, that came here years later after their records were popular, and they finally got brought over for sets. And, and I have to say, a few of my mates actually I spoke to, and I kind of it was it was it was sort of like. I felt like I kind of gushed a bit because a couple of them said, hey, look, you know, I know you and I know some other guys. It wasn't just solely me. Okay, played our music. And if you guys hadn't have, we probably wouldn't we be wouldn't here be either, yeah. for this. So I guess in a way we are kind of like, it's cool to have you here. That's awesome. And, and they actually would acknowledge that yeah. saying, well, look, we really know why we're here. Because I think some of them were pretty surprised that that, someone would ring them from the other side of the world in this little country called Australia and say hey mate you want to get on a plane and come over and play a set and they'd be like what set <laughs> 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 and they'd leave out
2: that the, the actual the journey was like fucking 30 hours <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's it but um like look who wouldn't want to, like in Europe, win- winter in Europe or anywhere else in the world and you get a call in the middle of winter saying, or just leading into winter saying, hey, do you want to come to Australia for yeah. like three weeks? We'll, we'll pay for your accommodation and you'll play in all the cities and get jet-setted around and wined and dined and we'll pay you money and you just have to play your music and it's going to be summer, by the way, and you go to the beach every day. That's no, a bit of a no-brainer, I think. That's why me think about it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, look, it was always fair. Look, I suppose... Um, uh, it's under the only kind of negative or backlash would be um, it was kind of in a sort of controversial in a way it would be there. Yeah, sometimes I suppose promoters would jack up the prices because they had to pay more money to get people over. It, by the way, people cost money to to, yeah. to fly on a plane, right? <laughs> Fleets
2: that's a big expense. Mm, so it? I
3: mean, so ticket prices would go up. At parties, and then of course you'd have you know your your people out there, the puns and that would be like, oh, you know, or, hey, you know this one artist two artists not even my favourite one and I'm paying triple and I want to see the locals And yeah. you know um, and look there, there was some time where you know I suppose some parties would get saturated with so many internationals but this was before festivals came around once the big festival scene came around like the mega festivals it's like people would expect nothing less than having
1: Thirty five big yeah.
3: headliners on there, anything less, and then they won't go. So I guess a different time, different place, different vibe. But um yeah, we there was never that feel of being threatened by people from overseas, you know. It was just more like, you know, we became we we became the warm up DJs for everyone, you know, mm. <laughs> at some of these events. But hey, look, it was only one party here and there, but yeah. Yeah, it's probably more the punters that griped about it than us, yeah. you know. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, I've got, I got to play with the Prodigy. I've got to play with Carl Cox. I've got to tour with Carl Cox, you know. Uh, completely different genre to me, but that was the point. Yeah. You know, the promoters would, like, in Australia, we had that vibe going on. So, I got to meet and play alongside some pretty awesome artists that I highly respected and... and um, I would have done those gigs for free but yeah. I was getting paid to do it and got to hang out with them and got to meet them got to make some good friends and got to meet people like yourself and your crew yeah. and um, I think there was that that realisation that everyone's just people in it for the good times and having fun with it.
2: Yeah, shared love of the music and yeah, all that. Yeah,
3: yeah, so yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, the festival thing, did that open things up even, was that like getting more commercial do you think when the festivals come in?
3: Yeah, look, I suppose we probably skipped a bit of an era for Sydney because, like I said, the rave scene had a sort of bubble that burst in a way for different reasons. Um, It became very saturated, um, you know that the old days are illegal and we got away with a lot of them and then they became really big and then they're at big stadiums and it just changed you know like anything and evolved and people got older that weren't into it anymore so the scene the crowds changed the attitude changed um but the club scene then sort of took us in sydney for for a lot of a lot of old rave djs kind of faded away in the in the later part of the 90s but then we had these amazing clubs open and then new genres came out like hard trance yeah No. I think that was something you very much championed as well was not it the kind of hard yeah. trance kind of I reached my my fill with rave I think because it it could only split and splinter so much and I think when happy hardcore came along I started sort of gravitating towards I went to Germany in 1994 as well briefly for a quick trip I had some family there and um and I picked up Commander Tom RMI
2: wow what a tune
3: I own that song now. Apparently, like I play it so much, it's my song. Like, I, 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 you should just give me the rights yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, it's like this. It is the one song of all songs that I just, it just completely blows everything else away from yeah, me yeah it's amazing it? um it's like it's the longest it's like eight minutes long or something and it's just that the breakdown the hoovers that are in it it borrowed from so many elements it's techno it's rave it's everything it was just something it was a dark horse in its day and i heard that in frankfurt at a, at a club played by him actually and went up and said what is this song and he said something like it's mine (laughs) in one year's time you will own it or something so weird and I was like I'll I'll give you $100 for it now it was like this 10 inch acetate or something that's a true story and And uh, so I heard it did he give you that no hell no 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 I I did offer him money for it just give me that um, it didn't take a year to come out. It's a few months later, but um, I must own about seven, eight copies. I had this fear of it getting scratched or warped. Yeah. Or, so I kept buying it and buying it. Um, yeah. And so that I sort of went that path through it all. Same tempo as Happy Heart. And then I discovered all this German sort of Frankfurt beat and all these kind of like. It was what I called the original sort of hard trance. Was like, there was a bit of a spin-off. There was some other sort of hardcore from Germany and that as well. And then of course you had the Dutch and the Rotterdam music. Yeah. I didn't quite gravitate towards that, so I started. It was like a whole new genre to explore. So that's what that hard trance. Yeah. Still, still fast, still up tempo. Um, it's great when something like that comes along. It's
2: like almost you find these things at the right moments when you're kind of getting bored with where you're at, and like it takes a trip to Germany, mm. and then boom, you're just like the love and the excitement from the start all kicks off again Mm. and you just immerse yourself in this full new sound.
3: Yeah, look, if I'd gone to Germany in 1990 instead of London I might have just discovered you know, that Frankfurt sort of sound techno. mean, yeah. that's what, sometimes you just fall into something yeah. by chance and by whatever. And, um, but yeah, so that, uh, then you said the hard trance, that kind of thing sort of slowed down very quickly. When I say slow down, I like tempo. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't 170, 160, sort of went slowed down to 150, which is still pretty quick. But yeah. that kind of slowed down, 140, you know, and Paul Van Dyck and the German sort of sound of the Frankfurt was really big, you know, Scott Project, yeah. all these kind of artists that were just popping out of, out of just suddenly were there yeah. and, um, you know. Germany was really at the forefront earlier really mm, They that, mm. just smashing out amazing records. Yeah, so I switched camps, you know, I kind of went away from the influences of what was happening in the UK and very much got into that German sort of European sort of sound. So... and and was that around
2: about the time did you not have like a a big residency was it at at home or was there no like the super club thing was that bubbling up or was that later
3: no so it was about 96 so when you look 94 winter is Sydney rave that I think that was reaching a peak of that era of the rave scene and then it kind of went happy hardcore all that and you know, myself and other DJs felt like we were becoming a bit of the old dogs, we'd been around a few years, and there was a lot of younger guys coming in and they were pushing their influence of Happy Hard and that, and then this sort of club came along, it was called Sublime Open in Sydney, and it, we called it a super club, it really only held about a thousand people, but it was bigger than any other sort of club that was around the time, and we got invited, a few DJs to play this sort of hard trancy sound that we were experimenting with, and. Um, uh, I got given the back room set and sort of back of the club main, the front part was a bit more mainstream. And myself, another guy called Jumping Jack, we just had this little dark room with a flashing red strobe light and a kick-ass sound system. It was tiny little back, the back room of the club, literally. How many people do you think? Oh, I need a couple hundred would fit in there. It was actually so, it was, it was like a false wall that at, when our sets finished at 4am, they'd open it up just to give a bit more room for the club Mm -hmm. it was crazy so it was a tiny little back room Um, and I I got given a three hour set sort of jumping jack we used to share it and we'd take turns early and late you know and um that was a real good chance to explore these journeys of long yeah. sets. So it wasn't this rave anymore, one hour you are on and you're off, it was like three hours and you could grow and, you know, a lot of this music had this sort of flow and journey to it, you know, started off soft and trancey, and then build up the intensity and then you'd have the acid sounds and a yeah. peak and, you know, you could really take your set to another level.
2: And did people really get on board with this kind of vision?
3: Yeah, people would poke their heads the in the back room going, what's this going on yeah. You know, you could hardly see in there, just flashing red light. Yeah, it became a tall it was um yeah huge and, and that went on for a few years you know we really built that club night up Yep. um a lot of people just refer it to the back back room of subbies they call it
1: mm-hmm.
3: subbies was uh, the affectionate nickname for the club sublime yeah so um and that was yeah you know, 96 97 so it wasn't too many years after that sort of peak of the rave which we sort of went in a different direction yeah <clears throat> did you ever was you ever tempted to take that sound to the big room or Uh, We tried it. We got, you know, we get booked to play whatever the Rays were at the time. And all I'd find is I had to play everything on like plus eight to keep up with it. It was like, (laughs) it became a big effort, you know. Um, Couldn't quite get it fast enough. So, oh no, look, we still, uh, there were some parties, those big ones called Transmission where they they decided to take that club sound and make it into... A big event. So again, we created. I don't know, we, we stopped calling them raves by then. Raves was old Beating school, been yeah. and gone. Yeah, we were just we didn't even call them. Just call them parties. Yeah, it was kind of boring. We didn't have a cool name for them. It's <laughs> so like it was called the the event name. Yeah, just like how festivals became known, like Tomorrowland and all that. Yeah. it's not like you know, it's a rave called Tomorrowland. It's Tomorrowland. So all of a sudden, these parties was like, are you going to Transmission? Oh, what's Transmission? It's just. just cool party yeah, yeah, called cool yeah, Transmission yeah. that was it so um, you know we, we kind of yeah we did we created a bit of a market there so we had the clubs versus these occasional parties um, so it was like a stage 2 of the rave scene you yeah. know old ravers that had slowed down a bit really yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> yeah. and was there a sort of time you felt like you were a, it was the peak and then you, you sort of did you feel things kind of Dive in a bit, or yeah,
3: well, I suppose coming bored, or you know, how how did you? Mm, no, look, I um, I also sort of along the, along the same time started. I released a lot of compilation CDs of um, the, the DJ mix CD market was huge. You know, there was a lot of big ones from overseas, and um, some people locally did them. You know, Central Station Records, Ministry of Sound I did. This, they did a series called Hard Energy, so I was involved with that along with some other DJs, and um, it it was um, a really good vehicle. Again, sort of pre internet, pre streaming, people could walk into your mainstream record shop and uh, music store and pick up this compilation CD. It was kind of underground in a mainstream music store. Well, so, tracks that they loved, or yeah, kept them really fresh. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was, you know, take no prisoners, you know, just. just put your set on, you'd be big hits at that time. So um, that was a really good vehicle running alongside what was going on in Clubland. So they had its own, and that opened up a lot of doors as well because you do something for Ministry Sound and they do a, a national tour under their brand. They would market it and you'd play in all the capital cities. So you'd make a, a lot of money off touring, Yeah, but like you really would because you'd get nothing much for mixing the CD, um, you get a little fee, but then you'd kind of get 10 gigs. And when you added up what you earned from it, it was pretty good earner. Yeah. And, um, and I would be I'd not stay all over Australia. And you're all, yeah, everywhere. I mean, I got to see parts of Australia would never visit, have never visited or got the opportunity to, because I couldn't have afforded to, to fly all these places and stay there. So great, more opportunities. So there's always these little spin-offs of things that were going on. So And not just myself, other DJs. We had this circuit around the country. We'd, we'd all follow this little circuit you know I'd what was the circuit oh you could go because I mean people listening sort of interrupt mm. but
2: people you know you, I think you have to almost pinch yourself
3: <laughs> to realise how massive Australia is in land size yeah like um, crazy from Perth to Sydney is a five a five, five, yeah, hour, five flight. hour flight one way three and a half the other way because you've got tailwinds blowing you <laughs> <past it>. go <laughs> figure but okay Sydney to Melbourne one hour yep. Sydney to Brisbane one hour you go somewhere like Sydney to Darwin the the top end Mm. nothing like rainwater from the top end (laughs) that's like a three hour flight (laughs) or something you know it's not not, you know it's fair distance so equate that to Europe it's like flying from what say London to Berlin is what an hour or 45 minutes yeah I'll be about longer than that is an hour and a half yeah yeah I don't know but it's sort of like you know um, it's like traversing Europe, one side of Europe to the other all the time. Yep. You know, every weekend or odd weekend doing that. But the circuit would kind of follow a path. You'd go, you'd always want to generally, no offence to Melbourne, but you go. You start up north and go Brisbane, Brisbane. Um, <laughs> it's a bit warmer climate. It's above, you know, towards the equator. So it'd always be nice and warm. Go, actually, you could go Gold Coast, which is like a, a mini Miami yeah. slash Vegas. And then you go Brisbane. Um, this is like, you know, 45 minute flights to one hour to Brisbane. And then you go up further north to Townsville, there's a big army base there. So there's a lot of like uh, army people based there. So their weekends, they'd go and party. So all these soldiers that come out and like, they would just get their glow sticks out and just go, nuts. go nuts. Yeah. Um, and there's big like universities up there where as well. And travelers, backpackers, and, um, you'd go up to Darwin. So you're at the top end, like for real. <laughs> And uh, if you're really lucky, go across to Broome, which is like the furthest you can go from Sydney. It's like huge. It's like. The other side of the country, yeah. uh, and then around to Perth and then back through Adelaide. So we're going around the circle. if You look at about right, right yeah. and then Melbourne. I mean, not, not, it wasn't like strictly that's the path you'd follow, but if you did a tour, it would usually be, I don't know, maybe Sydney, Brisbane one week, and then uh, Sydney, Melbourne, and Sydney, Adelaide. As long as you do Friday night in Melbourne and then Saturday in Adelaide, yeah. it was a big tour, whatever, yeah you've done it, yeah, yeah, yeah. a big, a big, yeah,
2: it's, it becomes just a uh, amazing gigs, and uh, you, you try and sleep on a plane, really, because you're yeah. not sleeping at the
3: party. But you know, besides all the glamour and the travel, if you want to really look at it that way, which it really wasn't, yeah. there's not much glamour in it, really. Yeah, that's uh, the downside people don't get, not like, like, it's, it. yeah. like, <laughs> it's like the life. Yeah, like well, it's lonely. It's not poor me, sad on oh. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, you arrive somewhere, and people are like, hey, welcome, take you drop you off your hotel. Yeah, we'll pick you up later. Go to the club, play, finish, come back, sleep. You know. It's airport travelling, there's a lot of time on your own. Yeah. You know. And,
2: and also if you get you know, a, a relationship back home, you're... Yeah. You're, you're away from... Y- bit, yeah, you're away from the people you You're missing
3: up. out on events and things your friend's doing and other stuff yep. and can't do this because I'm going to be in Melbourne or whatever it is, you know. these family get together. Yeah, I no, really did, really did. There's, there is that sort of, um, that sort of, you know, dark side to things. It's not all, you know, razzle-dazzle and glamour and glitz, you know. Some of it's great, but... Yeah, but I think but the but the thing was there's nothing that could beat just arriving in another city, never played to that crowd before and having them appreciate and enjoy it. And know your music. Yeah. Maybe have your mix albums and Yeah, come up know. and ask for a request. Can you play yeah. this, play that? Um, you know, it's, it's there's a lot to be said about realizing that there's the, the, there's people all around there that you've made sort of an impact with yeah. or a connection with or whatever it is. So. And I think
2: it's true, you know, audiences, you, you, you'll know more than me, but they really are welcoming, you know. Like mm. They really appreciate you, you know, especially what you were saying. When you when you do the travelling and you go to these towns, mm. they really know that you've... You know, or They're thankful for the
3: fact that you've travelled to their town. Because they know how freaking
2: far it is.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck, you
3: come all the way to... <laughs> Room. yeah what the fuck you come here for ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, look it's uh, yeah wow
2: so when <laughs> when things kind of faded away what did you find yourself doing was there a time when you've walked away from music or anything like that ah uh, look cuz you I mean you doing the comps doing the tours mm. that's definitely got to be yeah another peak in yeah, your career yeah.
3: look i think uh, for me i had that i had a couple of peaks and then uh, that 2000 millennial era, that club Sublime was talking about. We moved to another location, which was another club called Home Nightclub. They took over it, and Home was from a crew from the UK that had equivalent in London. So they um, had set up this mega venue, could hold 3000 people, right down on the harbour um, in Sydney, uh, beautiful outlook, huge club main dance floor could hold you know 1500 people on at high ceilings and crazy lights and lasers and the biggest sound system ever and we were just thrown into that suddenly and that became huge and it became almost like a beast to itself it became very overwhelming and it was cool there was nothing wrong with it it was awesome but it, it um very quickly reached its peak like we had a good two or three years there and then other promoters came in and tried to mess with it a bit and just things got sort of you know things changed so um all of a sudden it just um i don't know about 2006 for me i kind of like took a step back and was like
1: mm,
3: i've had a pretty good run you know 16 17 years years you know like nearly 20 years of my life you know it's half my life yeah. at the time um nothing else but that and and some highs and lows and some successes and some failures and you know on, on, a, on a business and personal levels, all those sort of things, you know, kind of was like, hmm, maybe it's time to look for something else. So yeah, kind of faded faded in the background a little bit. I always say DJs never actually retire. They just start getting booked less and <laughs> <Yeah>. less, <laughs> you know, just fade away a little bit until yeah. nobody wants you anymore. But I think it's, <laughs> I,
2: I think also like the, you know, like the business side of things and the politics can, Maybe you're not aware of it at the time, but it really adds up and mentally takes a lot mm. from, you know, all the bullshit goes with it, you know, really yeah. kind of wear you down.
3: Look, when we're 20, or when we were 20 or whatever, yeah. 20, 25, i seen those 20 to 30 years, the glory years of being young and, you know, so much energy and, you know, um, so, so little responsibilities in yeah. life, maybe, um, it's very easy to kind of just become your world and, Get all caught up but as naturally we get older, you know. I think other things become a bit more important and uh, some things come less important. Um, you can still have a love for something, but yeah, it certainly doesn't have to drive your entire life, it's not driven by it. Yeah. Uh, I always used to say, like, music was 90% of my life back in that day, now it's maybe 10%. I still like it, yeah. I've just flipped it, still always will like it. It'll always still suck me back in,
2: yeah. <laughs> what was it? Like, you know, the old we call it the old school scene back in the UK. Was there anything like that? That you know, was was there a period where you had like a you know, drifted away and then people started doing parties, wanting you to recreate the magic that you'd done in the past? Absolutely. When did that come about and how did that feel? Probably
3: about the time at 2006 when I went, I've had
1: enough of this
3: because
2: <laughs> I mean, it's just as
0: it started to fade away,
3: you get these knockings on the doors. <laughs> Want to come and play an old school rave? 1994? Hang on, what year is it? It's 2006. That's okay, it's been maybe long enough. Yeah, Dust those vinyls off again. Did you, you must have had a massive collection. Where are you, you hiding that? Oh, I never ever travelled in one place at one time with me until I, I had... Look, I had a studio at my, my parents' house. My, my late father passed away recently. He was, when I was... Um, Coming out of high school, he really supported my DJing. He converted his wine cellar, which was a back shed, <laughs> wasn't, into a. He went out to a, like, literally a chicken farm and bought egg carton and stuff, you know, like, ah, okay. and, and spray painted it black and stuck it on the ceiling. And he made it, put carpet on the walls. He made this cool room, like a mixing room. That's awesome. And I went to Ikea and had these shelves and, you know, and had a couple of rows of them and started putting my vinyl. But when I lived out of home and moved home and, you know, different you know renting and all that I didn't take all my records with me every time didn't need them anymore you know I had my current record so it um, wasn't until I bought a house about 10 years ago that I bought everything together I had to get a removalist company and it cost me hundreds of dollars and to move them all now I still now I move them myself <sighs> so it's my workout yeah yeah <laughs> and I haven't moved too many we times a bag brace on yeah and I, I think I, I counted roughly around 10,000 vinyls which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But then I know other people that probably got more as well. It's just crazy. But that was just that was what I collected, you know, through the years. I never sold a record. I wow. Could never part with it. It's probably like half of them I could give away and not miss them, but <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. There's That's something about them. Yeah. All. yeah. That's um, your collection. It's a collection. Yeah. It's like it's like having a book book club, you know. People at those houses and have their little. More well, like they books they've yeah. read them they're never going to read them again maybe but they'll keep them yeah. Um, but yeah I mean as we're getting older as well I think those tracks and those
2: songs have it's more than the music it's all the memories that go with them mm. Mm. And, and the part that we played on Sunday I, I thought it was really nice they have done the tribute to to Paul mm. and 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 it kind of reminds you how much time's passed
1: Mm Mhm,
2: and then maybe like we're getting older, and you know, but these parties are still we're still celebrating the music we love.
3: The music's frozen in time. It's (laughs) music is like a time capsule, right? it's just that the song, it's going to still sound the same twenty years later as it did when it was made, and and it affected you twenty years ago a certain way. More than likely, it will still affect you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm doing special songs. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of songs I bought twenty years ago. I'd be like. Did I buy that rubbish? Yeah. Oh, Did I really play that? What was I thinking? But there's certain things that resonate with us yeah. individually. But um, like look. Like is <laughs> <cool>.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, look, and um, you were saying about the, the raving. So adults are the old school. So, yeah, all of a sudden it's like making these decisions. And look, they weren't decisions solely based by me. It was the climate and, the, and, you know, the club scene had evolved to a certain way. Here in Sydney we had some changes to laws that affected us that we were talking about earlier, lockout laws we call them really killed our nighttime economy here. So I felt sorry for a lot of people that were in, were just getting into the music industry around mid 2000, um, you know, just sort of started building themselves up. And then we had these, you know, draconian laws kick in, um, you know, five, six years ago. And yeah, it really damaged our economy and that. But look, I, I made a decision before then to kind of fade away. But yeah, people came out of the woodwork, old promoters saying, there's something to be said about a nostalgic night. Let's do an old school night, yeah. and they were huge. It's like here we go again. Here yeah. we go again. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel when you're playing the old school sets? Are you, are you? It's it's like different because in the day you were playing week to week, whatever when playing the party, so you'd have a few hits of the time in your in your. Crate your bag, and you you would also have just other stuff in there. So you'd have this, the killers, and you'd have the fillers, whatever. This was part of your set. Where you play these old school nights, suddenly you're playing these like back to back anthems. So yeah. it's a bit of an anthem onslaught. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not quite playing playing a set like you'd normally play. Yeah. You kind of have to be a bit more mindful. I'm got I've got an hour. Some of them you're back to back with another DJ, or you're on your own. Forty five minutes set. It's like you start mathematically working out. I can play. 12, maybe 13 vinyls in an hour if I want to play most of the songs, unless I want to chop them in half, which you don't want to do because you want people to hear them. Now when talking vinyl, it's hard to do an edit of a vinyl track. Yeah. You kind of have to make a decision to mix out early or play the whole seven bloody minutes. So, um, yeah, but they were great. And obviously we saw the response all of a sudden there was a market for old school. Um, and like anything, it reached a bit of a peak as well through those years. Um, you know, got a bit saturated and then they sort of peeled away a bit. And uh, even now it's sort of nicely balanced out. There's not, yeah. not too many of them. I think the right thing to do
2: is maybe cherry pick the ones and not just like do it, them all. So they still become a good night out. You know, like we meet up and stuff. Mm. Everybody's here, have a drink and a laugh. Mm. Whereas if it if it's happening every weekend, it just becomes boring and you're like,
3: yeah. you're, the magic's away, you know? Well, that's interesting because in the last two years I've done more DJ gigs in the last two years than I did maybe in the last eight years or something just as a guess yeah and um I see like a lot of things happening again and um I almost feel like I'm almost going back into that world of DJing more than I'm not mm-hmm. or that I was and yeah. um kind of scares me a bit because uh, you're also juggling a full-time job as well it? yeah I've got different things going on yeah, in my yeah. life now and uh, and I'm happy to give it but um uh, I start to sort of feel like I'm being drawn back to the Sock dark side. <laughs> Give yourself to the dark side, Nick. You never left. <laughs> no, it's um, it's it's almost like that. I get you can I can run, but I you get, can hate. I get a bit scared of it in all sense, you know. Uh, sometimes I get a bit, in case. It just I get a bit takes too much from me again. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. It does, and I don't know if anyone gets it unless you do it. Um, it's not just getting up and playing a set for an hour it's it's working out what you're going to play yeah. playing. and again people go oh, how hard is it you just DJ you play other people's music and that you just it's something about it if you're giving something your all it's a bit different when you're doing it week to week and you're just sort of in the rhythm and you've got that it's like exercising you just sort of build up you yeah. get fitter so I don't feel like I'm as fit as, as I used to <laughs> be as a DJ. So I play a set and I'm off. I forget. It's like three days. It takes me three days to yeah. recover, right? Yeah, yeah. Um then we're doing these epic sets, you know, all night, open to closes. It's like never even did them back in the day. It's like yeah. all of a sudden someone's like, yeah, come and play for six hours. Like, <laughs> what are you going to give me to stay awake for six hours? No. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, wow, six yeah, hours. Yeah. I could, as long as I've ever did three hours, and you know. Yeah. That was a long time ago. So... um yeah it's just that kind of it's that life balancing yeah but hey it's fun but once but you know i can sound like a grumpy old dj man but i'm not but yeah, you're older and wiser on now yeah and look once from there the rule book gets thrown out the window <laughs> everything i say is just rubbish it's like <laughs> <laughs> here we go yeah i'll have one drink and i'll be home after my myself uh, no so you know <laughs> Um, a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to that, but it, I suppose it just sort of scares you because you realise how all-consuming it was, and uh, mm. you know there's a lot, there's a lot of things going on in the world now, and I still do, I haven't yeah. done. But yeah. hey, it was it's fun. It was fun then. It's fun now. Yeah. I, I think it's more a case of enjoy it for as long as you can until you really make the decision that it's either not going to be there anymore, or you're not going to be here anymore, or you're just going to maybe pack it all in. But no, I don't think pro- retirement's on your record. No, that's what eh? I'm saying. That's, yeah, that's why yeah. I left that last. I don't think we're going to pack it all in. No, I only have to take one look at my room that I got at home, my mixing room, and just see the enormity of it all. Yeah. And just put on that one record by myself, no one else there. And just suddenly find myself hours later playing more records with no one else there. <laughs> but then they've got this great thing called live streaming. Yeah. Isn't it? So that's my next mission just to keep to, to go back through all this music over the years and different eras and genres it's like I don't think there's enough time left in my life to be able to do as many streams yeah. as I want in mean, all honesty there's just so much music yeah. it's like it's crazy
2: what about even you ever thought about even like doing a podcast or, you know, like a show, or yeah. again, talking to other artists and stuff like that?
3: I did that for when I got into hard style. I kind of left that out. That was like another era. You know, I suppose it was just something, again, i sort of, at the end of it or I kind of, uh, I did branch off from hard trance to hard style. I just started getting exposed to this sort of music and um, it consumed me very quickly. <laughs> it got me crazy. And I did a podcast show for a while, like you know, I did about 22 episodes and put a lot of work and effort into it, loved it. It wasn't quite the same as radio for me, so I guess I just didn't have the drive to keep it going. And then at that stage, I decided that I'd been there, done that a lot with things. Yeah. So, But um, how have oh. the, the live streams? Uh, Enjoying think, doing the live I streams? I think, yeah, because playing vinyl records, people like seeing, these. Are, they're going back to these old school things, for a while, a lot of the DJs we be playing off CDJs and playing USBs, yeah, yeah. and then in the last few years, there's been this real push to, no, go, on, go back to the real deal, play your records. The original album? Yeah, artistry of playing. Played, these. Yeah, and play. So now, no, we do these old school nights. Everyone's on the decks playing vinyl. Yeah. and I think there's a lot to be said because the clubbers and people coming along like to see that. Yeah, they see the movement. in you know, and it's. Sort of I think that's
2: when it when a, when a DJ can really prove or show is, is is worth because like anybody can DJ these days, but you know, put a set of turntables in front of some kid or. Some DJ and they would really struggle. Mm. You no, know, it's not like you can't just pick it up. You can drip sweat on them. Yeah, like laying on <laughs> All my the record. records,
3: have got gel and hair yeah. sweat on. Just, you can literally drip <laughs> bodily fluids onto the onto the music while it's spill, playing. Spilled Jack Daniels and all sorts. <laughs> Try doing that with a USB stick. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing would like go sparks.
2: <laughs> yeah. I also, like I always remember putting it uh, you know the, the needle on the record and the tunes rocking and then. You're maybe wrapped up in a party and you take the needle off the wrong record and all
3: <laughs> You did that? <laughs> I've done that several times. Yeah, I had to say I've probably done it twice, yeah. <laughs> maybe three times. <laughs> but you know, I was like, with someone's a record, it just inadvertently skips, just a little thing that just yeah. keeps it real. was like, yeah, well, like yeah. everyone's on the beat and it's like, it's like, And it used to be in the days when it would happen and the whole crowd would go in units and I'm like,
1: whoa.
3: <laughs> like it was like, whoa, yeah. moments. Like, yeah. So even if I caught a loop you'd have to do you just nudge it just to get out the uh, loop and yeah, I, I remember actually lift having so much fluff because depending on the club be f- so much dust I had so much fluff I could see like a quarter of the way through the song that the, the record wasn't going to make it the needle wasn't going to make the whole song because it was getting to that yeah, yeah. and you could hear it going like more muffled like <laughs> and I remember actually just going fuck it just lifted the needle up and the, on the club just flicked the <laughs> finger underneath got the yeah, it made this horrible sh- scraping sound and then literally just dropped it back and it was like this little moment and everyone was like, "Whoa, song's back on, cleared. It never happened. Yeah, yeah. It didn't happen. <laughs> but it did. He's just like, fuck, what am I going to do? But you've been in control. And z- Otherwise they're going to Yeah, yeah, just skate along. Skate off the record, so yeah. Awesome. Fun times. So, ending things up,
2: have <laughs> you got any sort of uh, advice you would give to anyone who's maybe excited about music or you know is there any sort of wizardly
3: type yeah. Australian advice <laughs> Nick Fish could give <laughs> well we're not here to fuck spiders are we I should say a bit of, we're not here to fuck spiders we're here to
1: play bloody music <laughs>
2: so that's it I didn't even know what it means
3: to fuck spiders
2: Has that seen here I've never heard it you've never heard it
1: <laughs> look it up
3: my little nephew from Germany said something like when I said that to him he said you want to have sex with spiders and I said no he said we're not gonna um, no look it's almost like yeah look, I have to say one thing we've talked a lot about vinyl and about old school um, I've always had this firm belief of like you know it's it's not how it's being played. It's just what's being played, like you know, yeah. uh, musically wise. So I've never bought into the purism of if it's not vinyl, it's not real. I I personally like playing records much more than a CDJ and USB sticks. That's my personal preference. Just I like touching and feeling the vinyl record, that tactile feedback you get, just hands on. That's just what I that's what I was exposed to. But if I'd started DJing now and love the music just as much, then digital all the way. Yeah. I'd be like, what is these record things? Yeah, How do they work? You know? um, so yeah, I just think it's, I think it's, yeah, look, I, I think for the generation now, wow, you guys got so much opportunity, you got so much, it's, it's almost like too much cause like music is so accessible, but what I do notice and I've heard a lot, I love people, what's old is new again. It's happened in every genre. Yeah. I love hearing these kind of techie house tracks that are out now that are just literally playing riffs from old tunes, like a little nod to it all. It's almost like w- the music evolved and evolved and went so many different ways, but now it's kind of come back. It's that cliche of coming full circle on that. So, and I do think, I hate to, never thought I'd say this, the younger generation. <laughs> Short <laughs> the of saying the younger kids, younger generation yeah ones. The younger generation. I think um, full respect because I do... Look, I think there's a lot to be said, you know, living in current times of being of a certain age, you've got so much exposure to some social media and so much like access to like endless music on Spotify, these endless libraries of things that we never had the opportunity to explore. And I think there's a natural curiosity to some people that get into music that they will just suddenly go and follow and investigate. And I think there's a lot to be said about some music being made now that maybe, maybe these people are, Exploring the roots of music and then coming across stuff, whether it's accidental mm. or intentional. But, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great time to be alive and dance music. For if you're <laughs> doing it now, yeah. you've got so many opportunities. Look, the, to, to the amount of festivals and events and things that are on, and there's just so many things that if you work hard and you are passionate, it's, it's a very cliche, but it's a true thing. You've got it, yeah. it's blood, sweat, and tears um a little bit of smarts bit of good handiwork and talent go a long way as well but and it's just dedication and um your passion follow it embrace it you've got the world is your oyster
2: before we um wind things up and go out and get a, a lovely cold beer and a, and a burger um is there anywhere people can get in touch with you and Check it, we're all about.
3: Well, short of coming to my gigs, jumping on a plane,
1: <laughs> coming to Australia. <laughs>
3: um, look, thanks to the wonders of technology, <laughs> we have available. Uh, I do have a Facebook artist page, um, and I, I have managed to most of these old school parties that I play at now. I tend to take into a very rough setup, so excuse the audio, but it's the best I can do at the time. When I, I did it on the weekend, actually, I'll always make the effort to stick a phone camera set up, capture a bit of the vinyl spinning, me playing, and really that captures the essence of what's going on at these mm-hmm. events. Uh, it's what I'm about, it's what these parties are about, and it's what, more importantly, the music was about. So if uh, any of you are curious, uh, look me up the DJ Nick Fish and on Facebook and you'll see some of my streams and um, subscribe if you like and stay in touch and get in touch. And apparently, just one quick thing, um, my brother tells me, because he does his own musical stuff we were talking about, that he said he went to Glasgow a couple of times to play. And um, he said, you got these like, Fans over in Glasgow, Nick. So I've heard this. I don't know if it's true, but people knowing your music, man. He just said something about. He said, "I just amount of people when I said I was from Australia, like they didn't even know who's my brother." That's what the funny thing was, because he does his own thing. Um, So yeah, so I guess I'd love to someday if I'm passing through Glasgow, you know, happen to be in the (laughs) neighbourhood, I'll look you guys up. Definitely, man. Definitely. (laughs) So if we're winding things up
2: uh, with your journey through music. What couple of tracks would you like to pick to, to see us out, Nick? Ooh. It's very hard, isn't it, even picking one?
3: I think... Alright, I'll have to reveal something here. I did a, a remix of a track um, called Time To Make The Floor Burn. and um, It's a little bit of a homage uh, to another artist I was talking about that's a bit of a favourite song of mine, so maybe we can play that and see if people can pick it so yeah it's um Let's see
2: Let's what about another one that's one <laughs>
3: okay <laughs> the other one could be commander tom and then that's a little bit of a hint about the song that i did it was kind of a little bit of a nod to him so you know i had full respect for that song sort of changed it all for me and um i had an opportunity to kind of put a little bit of that flavor into this this song so oh, listen to them side by side and they're yeah. very different songs but i think you'll spot the reasons behind sort of, how yeah. i made this remix uh, after hearing that so yeah but uh, have it, you heard the new remixes that's just
2: been released of rmi
3: i certainly have and my my brother has done a remix of it as well has he yeah In so yeah so um, I'm and program. i'm talking about my brother and people are like who's your brother i don't nah, know if i want to man, give him give a, a shout out oh, look he's he's one one half of binary finery so um yeah, he has a bit of a connection out there so he's this dance music world's all Kind of uh, connected in its own sort of way, right? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say incestuous in a way, but <laughs> I just kind of gave you the look.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> it's
3: not quite like that, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So did he do a great remix of it? And um, you know, I'm kind of jealous. I'm envious. I wish. Imagine that's 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 the, the cream creme de la creme for me. You should maybe get in the studio with those guys. Bring out. <laughs> You know, there's that kind of funny thing with siblings, you know. You kind of sometimes just better doing your own thing. Yeah. yeah. They say never go into business with family or, or friends or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. No, cool.
3: He's he's, cool. he's on his uh, musical journey, more power to him. But yeah, it's w- wicked remix. And I think some other there's some other yeah, killer quite remixes a few.
2: I just seen it was like a full package. The only one I sort of recognise was um, John Askew,
3: which mm. has been out for a while, yeah. more as a bootleg. Yeah, but like I was saying before, when I did that song, The Winner Is, it's like sometimes there's just only one version of the song that should just yeah. be what it is. So the it's great that people way. do the homages and all that, but um yeah, nothing to me will ever beat the original of that song. So. It's
2: amazing.
3: So in whichever order you'd like to play them, feel free.
2: Mate, <laughs> it's been an
3: absolute pleasure catching up with you and chanting today likewise likewise and it's such an honour just to have this opportunity to speak with you so freely like that I mean um, I was such a big fanboy back in the day you know I didn't know what to say when you guys were on my radio show and now we're just sitting here like like old grandpas in our rocking chairs just chatting away whittling on our (laughs) veranda (laughs) yeah it's been fun good man thank you yeah I'll see you on the flip side right?
1: (laughs)
0: Show. Share it on your pages, tell your friends about it and spread the word. It's something I'm really passionate about and want to continue doing.